So welcome, welcome to all those joining us online as well as our Women's Bible City satellite groups. It's great to be with you guys. Um, again, my name is Jill and I have the privilege of getting to continue us in our study in the book of Hosea this morning. So many, many years ago, I was in a mentoring relationship with a woman from our church. I highly respected her, I loved her. We would meet down the street at Swart Coffee at like 6 a.m., which felt early to me at the time, but now that I'm a mom, 6 a.m. feels like sleeping in. But we would meet at 6 a.m. down the street at Swart for these little mentoring sessions once a week, and we would pray, we would talk, we would catch up, and we would read God's word together. One of the things I most appreciated about this woman or this mentor in my life is that she was not afraid to speak hard truth to people regardless of how someone might respond. And so there came a day where she had some hard truth that she wanted to speak to me. And it had to do with my dating life because at that time I was single and wanting to date and be married. And so she had this hard truth to speak to me and she didn't really sugarcoat it, she didn't really beat around the bush, and honestly, I don't even remember the exact words that she used, but it sounded something like this. Jill, I need to let you know that one of the biggest hindrances to your dating life is that you struggle with vulnerability, you're not in touch with your emotions, one of the things that men are attracted to in women is their emotions, and so this is gonna be a challenge that you need to work on when it comes to dating and ultimately finding a marriage partner. And I was like, cool. So. I did what any good mentee does, and I listened to her, and I walked away, and I thought to myself, she's crazy. Like, there is no way there's truth to any of this. I am so in touch with my emotions. This is not my struggle or weakness. But the truth is, after a lot of thought, she was right. She was speaking a hard truth to me about something in me that I wasn't yet aware of and that I honestly probably didn't want to hear or become aware of, but, but she spoke a hard truth to me that gave me a place that I could grow and lean into more health and wholeness and what God wanted for me. And the truth is, we don't always like when people speak hard truths to us. We don't like when people point out our flaws or our weaknesses. We don't like when our sins get pointed out or mistakes. We don't like when people say, hey, you should change this or this is an area of weakness for you. It's not fun, it's not enjoyable to hear. Now, if we're honest, or maybe this is just me, a lot of us enjoy doing that to others. So it can be really fun to point out someone else's flaws. It can be really enjoyable to say, hey, I love you and here's what I think you need to do differently. And if you guys need someone to do that for you, I'm your person, come find me. <laughs> um, but we don't love when people point those things out in us. It's not fun and it's not enjoyable. And I think in part, we wanna know that we're loved, but we don't always want the truth that comes along with that love. So Coley encouraged us the past two weeks as we've been reading through Hosea, Coley encouraged us with the beautiful and powerful truth that we are loved. And she encouraged us to sit in that truth. And hopefully some of you or all of you have been able to sit in that truth. And that truth is powerful. We need to remember, we are loved, you are loved, I am loved. But I wanna remind us of that truth that we are loved this morning and I also wanna remind us of the truth of who it is that loves us. We are loved by God. We are loved by the God of the Bible who is the God of love, but who is also the God who hates sin. The Bible tells us that Jesus was full of grace 
and truth. And a pastor I follow on social media once said something along the lines of that. That doesn't mean that Jesus was 50% grace and 50% truth, but he was 100% grace and 100% truth. And that can be a hard reality to wrap our minds around, but God is full of grace and full of truth. And that means God loves us and he wants us to turn from our sin. It means God loves us and there are consequences for our sin. It means God loves us and he is our judge. The passage that we've been in this week from Hosea chapter two, verses two through 13, if you read it, it is full of God's judgment and consequences for sin. And this week, again, we're specifically looking at verses two through 13. And if we had just gone a couple verses farther, if Coley, my dear friend and coworker, had given me a couple more verses in Hosea, we would have gotten to these beautiful truths about God's mercy. And we'll get there, we'll get there next week. But the verses we're in this week really have to do with God's, with God's judgment and the consequences for sin. These are verses that prophesy God's judgment for Israel's sin. And so we're gonna ask today, what can we learn from these verses? But as we jump in, I wanna remind us again of the truth that you are loved. God's judgment for us comes from a place of his deep, deep love for us. But I also wanna remind us of who it is that loves us. God, who is the God of love and also the God who who hates a sin. So we're gonna pray and then we'll jump in. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for each woman who is here this morning. Thanks for the gift of Women's Bible Study. God, thank you for your great love for us. And Lord, as we talk today about this topic of sin and judgment and consequences for sin, Lord, I just pray that you would speak. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move through your word, through this teaching, in each of the women's lives in this room. I pray that it would be you that convicts us of sin. I pray that you would speak to us and challenge us, but that you would also encourage us, Lord. And I pray everything we talk about today would just be founded in your great love for us, Lord. So help us to know your deep love and mercy and grace for us, Lord. We pray all this in your great name, Jesus, amen. So this week we are in Hosea chapter two, verses two through 13, and there's three truths that I think we can take away from this passage that I wanna share with us today. So the first truth I think we can learn is this. God takes sin seriously, and so should we. God takes sin seriously, and so should we. I wanna to read to us a few of the first verses from this section in Hosea, starting in verse two, and these will be on the side screen as well. Hosea says, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil, and my drink. So Hosea is describing the relationship between God and Israel by using the metaphor of Hosea and Gomer's marriage. So Gomer has been unfaithful to Hosea and similarly Israel has been unfaithful to God. Gomer has committed adultery and gone after other lovers and similarly Israel has committed adultery and gone after other lovers. These other lovers that the Bible's referencing that Israel's gone after are referring to 
other gods like the god Baal. So Baal was a Canaanite god and it was believed that he was a storm god, meaning people looked to him to provide rain. And of course, we know rain would be important for agriculture and farming and crops. Baal was also worshiped as a fertility god, meaning that people looked to him to provide children. So you could say that people who looked to Baal or worshiped him were really looking to him for life. They were looking to him for life-giving rains. They were looking to him to provide the life of children. And we know that Baal was powerless to do any of that. Only our God, the God of the Bible, can produce rain. Only our God can create life. But they were looking to Baal to provide these things that only God could provide. And so in so doing, they were committing adultery against God. Now, if we're honest, many of us can relate to Israel in their adultery. Maybe you're here and you've committed to Jesus, you're following him, you're in a relationship with him, but sometimes you find your eyes wandering and you find yourself looking to other people or possessions or things to find provision, to find life and sustenance, peace, joy, and freedom. Just like Israel, we turn to other lovers to provide us with what only the God of the Bible can provide us with. But what we see in Hosea is that when Israel turns to these other lovers, there are consequences for her sin. The husband warns his wife in those verses we just read that if she refuses to stop her adultery, he will strip her naked, make her bare as on the day she was born, make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with thirst. And none of those sound like good things. When this metaphor is applied to Israel, it's probably saying that Israel is gonna lose everything, that the land is gonna be bare, and that Israel is gonna go into exile. Those are some of the consequences for Israel's sin. The God who loves us and who shows grace and mercy toward us is also the God who hates sin. God can't stand sin. He's a holy God. We sing about it earlier in worship that God is holy and he wants us to be holy, to be set apart for him. There are times here on this earth where we experience some of the consequences for our sin and we could all probably share stories where we have experienced the consequences for our sin. And when we reference sin, we're talking about missing the mark, missing the mark of God's standard and what he wants for us. So just to name one example of maybe a time where we've faced consequence for our sin on this earth, have you ever been in an argument with someone and said a rash word or you've said something in anger that you probably knew you shouldn't, but you said it? And as you know, once it's out there, you can't really take it back. You can reconcile and be at peace, but you can't take those words back. I know for me, there are times in my marriage with my husband where we'll be in an argument and something will come to mind that I really wanna say, but it's out of anger and it's out of frustration. And I know I shouldn't say it. And there's this part of me that's like, oh, don't say that, don't say that. But there are times where I say it. And once I've said it, I can't take it back. And so we face some of those consequences of words that we've said in anger or words that we've said in sin. There's a reason the Bible tells us that the, the tongue carries with it the power of life and death. Sometimes we experience consequences for those words that we speak out of sin or anger. There are also the eternal consequences for our sin, right? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages for our sin, the penalty for our sin is death. We've all sinned, we've all missed the mark of how God designed us to live, but Jesus paid the penalty that we owe so that we don't have to by dying on the cross for our sin to take that penalty upon himself. And he rose three days later and all who place their faith and trust in Jesus will be made right and will be forgiven for their sin. And that's the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God takes sin seriously, and so should we. And so in reflection on this, I wanna ask us today, is there an area of sin in your life that if you're honest, you're not really taking that seriously? Maybe it's an area that you've justified or that you've overlooked or you said, ah, it's not that bad or if I compare to other people, it could be worse. This is a better sin than others. Is there a sinful habit that you're persisting in? Maybe, to name one example, maybe it's an area of sexual sin and sexual sin is a piece of this metaphor that we're talking about in Hosea. And so since that's a part of the metaphor, is there an area in your own sexuality, whether you're single or married, where if you're honest, you are not living the way that you know God wants you to live? And I wanna speak specifically to those of us who are married, because it's easy to think, well, I'm married, so I'm good as long as I'm not having sex with someone who's not my husband. But the truth is, adultery or sexual sin goes beyond that in a marriage. You can still have sexual sin in a marriage. And so some questions to think through would be, what or who are you giving your thoughts to? Are there any mental or emotional fantasies you're engaging in that have to do with other men? Are there any people you've friended on Facebook or coworkers at work or people of the opposite sex that you're connecting with, but if you're honest, you're emotionally connecting with them to help fill the void of something that is missing in your marriage with your current spouse? And maybe it's not sexual sin, but whatever it is, is there an area of your life where you are not taking sin seriously and where you need to confess, ask God to convict you of your sin, repent, flee from that sin, and move towards God? So God takes sin seriously and so should we. That's the first truth we can take away from Hosea here. The second truth is this, God is our ultimate provider but what we do with his provision is up to us. God is our ultimate provider, but what we do with his provision is up to us. We already know from Hosea that Israel went after other lovers. She thought that they would provide for her needs. And so we read this in verse five, but I wanna put this verse up again and reread this to us. Hosea 2.5 says, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil, and my drink. So those items mentioned are some of the basic necessities of life. Food and water, wool and linen. People needed food to eat. They needed water to drink or for irrigation. They could use wool and, and uh, flax or linen. They could use those for clothing. The oil could be used for cooking or fuel for lamps or medication. Israel thought that other lovers could provide for her needs, but what they failed to realize is the only God can provide what we need. God is our ultimate provider. Look at what verse eight says, Hosea 2, eight says, I love what this verse says, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. 
So everything good that Israel had was actually from God. It was not Baal who gave them grain or silver or gold, but it was God. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Every good and perfect gift that you and I have is from God. And it's easy to feel entitled, it's easy to feel like, well, I earned this or I worked hard for this, and some of us have worked hard for some things in life. But ultimately, every good gift we have is from God. The Bible tells us that even the ability to produce wealth is a gift from God. So if you're sitting here with even a dollar in your pocket or your cash app on your phone, every dollar we have, we got the ability to produce that from God. Notice what Hosea 2.8 says that the Israelites did with these gifts that God had given them. It says they took the silver and the gold and they used it for Baal. So maybe they made it to, maybe they used it to honor him, maybe they used it to make statues or idols, but they took the good gifts from God and they used it for idolatry. They used it for other gods and ultimately they used it for sin. So I wanna ask us, when you think of all the good gifts that God has put in your life, and I trust no matter what season you're in, that you can think of good gifts that God has put in your life. When you think of those, are there ways that you find yourself thinking, well, I earned this, I'm entitled to this, I achieved this, I worked really hard for this, so I deserve this. Are there ways you find yourself forgetting the truth that God is your ultimate provider, that you have every good gift you have because it was given to you by God? We don't get to choose the good gifts that God puts in our lives, but we do get to choose what we do with those good gifts. And the Israelites decided to take their good gifts, to take their silver and gold, and to use it for Baal, for another God. So what are we doing with the good gifts that God has put in our lives? Are there any ways that we are taking those gifts and using them for other gods or for sinful desires? Maybe God has blessed you with wealth, but you are so stuck in the lie that you don't have enough, that you are not giving generously of your resources to those in need or to the purposes of God in and through the church. Or maybe God has blessed you with leadership gifts and you're faithfully using those leadership gifts at work to climb the career ladder, but you are resisting using your leadership gifts within the church to help disciple others and to help lead others to know Jesus. Or maybe you've been blessed with kids. I talk about my kids all the time. I have twin boys, Hudson and Finley, they're age five. They are two of God's greatest blessings in my life. But maybe you've been blessed with kids and you are spending so much time focusing on their future and getting them through school and making sure they understand math and all these subjects that you have forgotten to disciple them, to read God's word to them, to teach them who Jesus is and how to follow Jesus. What good blessings has God given you and how are you using those for God, for his glory and for his kingdom purposes? God is our ultimate provider, but what we do with his provision is up to us. We get to choose what we do with the good gifts that God has given us. And then third and finally, one last truth I think we can take away from Hosea is this. Remember who God is because you can't be faithful to a God you've forgotten. Remember who God is because you can't be faithful to a God that you have forgotten. The remainder of this passage we're in this week from Hosea continues to talk about the judgment and the consequence for Israel's sin. But I love how this passage ends. Here's what verse 13 says. Hosea 2.13 says, 
I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. But me she forgot. So Israel forgot God. The Hebrew word for forget here, it can mean to forget. It can also mean to ignore. So Israel ignored God in the way that God had called her to live. They forgot God's laws. So in essence, they said, we don't really care about your laws. We're going to live the way we want to live. One commentary by a guy named David, David Allen Hubbard says, and this quote will be on the screen behind me, to forget God is to act as though he had never made himself known, never redeemed his people in the Exodus, never provided for them in the land or laid his gracious and constraining claims upon them. When we forget God, we live as though all that he has done for us doesn't really matter. For most of us, when we sin, when we go in a different direction than God wants us to and we get down this path of sin, for most of us, it's not because we have literally forgotten what God tells us to do. We usually don't get down the path of sin and then think to ourselves, oh, wow, you know, I should have loved my enemies. I completely forgot that God's word tells me to love my enemies. Or, you know, I should have honored my husband. I, I just forgot God's word said to do that. No, what we usually say is, I knew this was sin but I wanted to do it anyways. So I'm ignoring what I know to be true from God's word and I'm gonna move in the direction I wanna go anyways. If we wanna be people who are faithful to God, then we need to remember God and we need to stop ignoring him and his word. And one of the best ways to remember God, and there are so many examples we could give, but just to give one, one of the best ways to remember God is simply to keep spending time in his word. And I trust that a lot of you are doing that through Bible study, you're reading Hosea, you're following along with us. There are a lot of you who have your own daily rhythm where you're setting aside time to be in the word of God. But what I wanna say is if you do not have a regular and daily Monday through Sunday, daily rhythm and habit where you are spending time in God's word, I want to encourage you to make that a priority. If we're honest, you guys, there are a lot of different things that keep us from spending time with God or spending time in his word, but at the end of the day, we all make time for the things that matter to us. If something's really important to us, we can all find and make time for it. Each of us can find and make time to spend with God, to spend in his word, to read his word as a way of remembering who he is and what his word says is true. And I wanna say one note on this to moms, and I, I could speak to so many different life stages, but probably because I am a mom of young kids, I wanna speak to any moms with younger kids, and I just wanna say, I know from my personal experience, it can be hard to figure out how to have a daily rhythm with the Lord and spend time in his word when you also have these little people running around your house asking you to feed them and clothe them and take them to school and play with them. And it can be hard to figure out, how do I pray and read God's word in the midst of this? I know for me, my quiet times now look drastically different than my quiet times before having kids. And if I'm honest, my quiet times today aren't necessarily quiet, if you know what I mean. And that's okay, there's grace for that. If we want to be people who remember God and who remember his word, then we need to make time to be in his word, a priority in our lives, no matter what stage of life we find ourselves in. Because no matter what stage you're in, there will always be a reason we could give. There will always be an excuse of some sort as to why we don't have enough time to spend with the Lord. But at the end of the day, those things are really just excuses and we need to make it a priority to spend time with God as a way to remember him. And the last thing I'll say too to moms is, 
in addition to teaching your kids about the Bible and teaching your kids about who Jesus is, one of the best, best gifts you can give them is that they're raised in a household where they see their mom and dad spending time in God's word. So regardless of what you do or don't say to them, just that you're modeling that example of, wow, I grew up and I saw my mom or I saw my dad consistently spending time in the word of God. That will model and speak volumes to your kids. So I wanna ask us, where have you forgotten or ignored God, and how can you intentionally remember who God is and what his word says? To remind us of this truth again, remember who God is because you can't be faithful to a God that you have forgotten. As we close, I wanna give us a few different ways to respond, and I wanna invite us to take whatever posture is comfortable for us right now. So you can keep your journal open if you want, you can put it away, you can close your eyes, but I'm gonna lead us in a little time of prayer and really just give us a few prompts or questions to think through. But I want this to be a space where we invite God to speak and to respond to us. So take whatever posture is comfortable for you. You can close your eyes if you want. Um, sometimes in moments like this, I put my hands out in front of me, palms face up, just as a way of symbolizing a posture of surrender and of saying, God, I wanna receive from you. Give me whatever it is you wanna give me. But take whatever posture is comfortable for you. And this is just between you and the Lord. And I'm just gonna walk us through a few different ways that we can respond to this. And I'll pause after each one just to give you a moment to think and to hear from the Lord. So first, is there any area of your life where you are not taking sin seriously? And I invite you to pray about that, ask God to convict you of your sin, confess your sin, and ask for God's forgiveness and his help in living differently. So sit with that question for a minute. Is there any area of your life where you are not taking sin seriously? And then second, where or who are you looking at to get your needs met, to provide for you? And how can you trust God as your ultimate provider? And then third, where have you forgotten or ignored God? And what is one step you can take to intentionally remember him and his word? And I wanna invite you to stay in this posture of prayer, but I wanna give one more invitation to those of you here who have never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There are some of you here who maybe you've never thought about sin or the consequences for sin. You've never thought about the eternal consequences for sin. And some of you are ready 
for the first time to say yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to ask him to forgive you for your sin and to make you right with him. And so if that's you, if you're ready to make that decision, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that and to place your faith in Jesus. I shared with us earlier in the teaching the good news of what Jesus has done, the gospel or the good news says that we've all sinned, but Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to by dying on the cross and taking our sin upon him and he rose three days later and all who place their faith and trust in Jesus will be saved and made right with God and will receive the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. So if you're ready to say yes to Jesus and the good news of what he's done for you, then I wanna invite you to pray this prayer and I'll speak it aloud and you can just pray it after me. You can pray it as loud as you want. You can pray it silently. You can pray it under your breath. But if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, you can just pray after me and say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Forgive me for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to save me from my sin. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I commit to following you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer, we are so excited for you. We welcome you and we celebrate you and the family of God. And we also want to be able to partner with you and celebrate with you. So if you made that decision to follow Jesus, would you let me or Coley or Renee know? Would you let your Bible study group or your leader know? You can also send us an email, but we would love to follow up with you and be able to celebrate with you. I wanna close this in prayer and just pray over whatever God's spoken to you, whatever you sense him inviting you to and just the, the words we've been hearing today. So, God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that you love us. You love us, you love us, God. And you also hate sin and you have called us to live holy lives, that you are holy and you call us to be holy and set apart for you, Lord. Thank you, God, that just because grace abounds, it doesn't mean sin should abound more. But God, that as we experience your love and your grace and your mercy, would you make us people who desire sin less, who desire obedience, who desire holiness, who desire to live like you, God? And so, Lord, I pray for any woman here who senses that they heard from you, if they heard a challenging word, if they heard something hard to hear, Lord, I just pray you would encourage them and meet them. Give us courage to walk out these truths from your scriptures, Lord. Give us courage, give us courage to follow you, Lord, and to confess and repent of our sin and to live the way you've called us to live, Lord. So God, we love you. Pray your blessing on our Bible study group times. Would your spirit just move mightily throughout our leaders and our groups and our discussions. We pray this in your great name, Jesus. Amen.